0: Book One, Chapter Fifteen of the History of Pompey the Little. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sudeshna. The History of Pompey the Little, or the Life and Adventures of a Lap Dog, by Francis Coventry. Book One, Chapter Fifteen. Chapter Fifteen. Our hero falls into great misfortunes. When the watchman had discharged himself in the morning of these honourable prisoners, he next bethought himself of poor Pompey, who had fallen into his hands in a more inoffensive manner. Him he presented that day to a blind beggar of his acquaintance, who had lately lost his dog and wanted a new guide to conduct him about the streets. Here our hero fell into the most desponding meditations. And was this misery, thought he, reserved in store to complete the series of my misfortunes? Am I destined to lead about the dark footsteps of a blind, decrepit, unworthy beggar? Must I go daggle through the streets with a rope about my neck linking me to a wretch that is the scorn of human nature? Oh, that a rope were fixed about my neck, indeed, for a nobler purpose, and that were here to end a dreadful, tormenting existence! Can I bear to hear the sound of, Pray, remember the poor blind beggar? I, who have conversed with lords and ladies?' who have slept in the arms of the fairest beauties and lived on the choicest dainties that london could afford cruel cruel fortune when will thy persecutions cease yet to say the truth his condition was not so deplorable upon trial as it appeared in the prospect for though he was condemned to travel through dirty streets all day long in quest of charity at night both he and his master fared sumptuously enough on their gains and many a lean projector or starving poet might envy the suppers of this blind beggar. He seldom failed to collect four or five shillings in a day, and used to sit down to his hot meals with as much stateliness as a peer could to a regular entertainment and dessert. I have heard a story of a cripple, who used constantly to apply for alms at Hyde Park Corner, where a gentleman, then just recovered from a dangerous fit of sickness, never failed to give him sixpence every morning, as he passed by in his chariot for the air. A servant of this gentleman's, going by chance one day into an alehouse, discovered the self-same beggar sitting down to a breast of veal, with some more of the fraternity, and heard him raving at the landlord, because the burr was gone and there was no lemon ready to squeeze over it, all of them threatening to leave the house, if their dinners were not served up with more regularity and respect. The footman informed his master of this extraordinary circumstance, and next morning, when the pampered hypocrite applied for alms as usual, the gentleman put his head out of the chariot and told him with great indignation, No, sir, I can eat veal without lemon. After our hero had lived in this condition some months in London, his blind master set out for bath. Whither, it seems, he always resorted in the public seasons. Not for the sake of playing at Eo, it may be imagined, nor yet for the pleasure of being taken out by the accomplished Mr. Nash to dance a minuet at a ball but with the hopes of a plentiful harvest among infirm people whom ill-health disposes to charity the science of begging is reduced to certain principles of art as well as other professions and as sickness is apt to influence people with compassion the objects of charity flock thither in great numbers for wherever the carrion is there will be the crow's be also the many adventures that befell them on their journey, how terribly our hero was fatigued with travelling through miry highways, who had been used to ride in coaches and six, and how often he wished his blind tyrant would drop dead with an apoplexy, shall be left to the reader's imagination. Suffice it to say, that in about three weeks, or a month's time, they arrived at the end of their journey, and the beggar readily groped out his way to a certain alehouse, which he always favoured with his company, where the landlord received him with great respect professing much satisfaction to find his honour so well in health. By this the reader will perceive that he was a beggar of some distinction. If our hero made any reflection, he could not help being surprised at such civility. Paid to such person in such a place! But how much greater reason had he for astonishment, when, on the evening of their arrival, he saw a well-dressed woman enter the room, and accost his master in the following terms. Papa, how do you do? You are welcome to bath. The beggar no sooner heard her voice than he started from his chair and gave her a paternal kiss, which the fair lady received with an air of scorn and indifference, telling him he had poisoned her with his bushy beard. When this ceremony was over, she threw herself into an armchair and began to harangue in the following manner. Well, papa, so you are coming to bath at last. I thought we should not have seen you this season, and I have immediate necessity for a sum of money sure no mortal ever had such locket cards as i have had you must let me have five or ten pound directly five or ten pound cries the beggar in amaze how in the devil's name should i come by five or ten pound come come no words cried the daughter for i absolutely must and will have it in spite of your teeth i know you are worth above a hundred pounds and what can you do with your money better than give it to me to make a figure in life with do you stick the men? They are grown so plaguy modest, or so plaguy stingy, that really it is hardly worth coming to Bath now in the seasons. Hang me if I've had a cull this twelvemonth. But do you know all that? That brother Jack's at the Bath. Oh, cries the beggar, there's another of my plagues. I shall have him dunning me for money too very soon, I suppose, for the devil can't answer the extravagancies of that fellow. Well, he'll certainly come to be hanged at last, that's my comfort, and I think the sooner he swings, the better it will be for his poor father and the whole kingdom. Hanged, replied the lady. No, no, Jack is in no danger of hanging at present, I assure you. He is now the most accomplished, modish, admired young fellow at the bath, the peculiar favourite of all the ladies, and in a fair way of running off with a young heiress of considerable fortune.' let me see all that if you'll be speak a private room and have a little elegant supper ready at eleven o'clock to-morrow night for jack won't be able to get away from the room sooner than eleven i'll bring him to sup with you and you shall hear his history from his own mouth to this the old hypocrite her father readily consented and promised to provide something decent for them after which starting from a chair well papa said she You must excuse me at present, for I expect company at my lodgings, and so can't afford to waste any more time with you in this miserable dog-hole of an ale-house. Having made this polite apology, she flew to her chair, which waited at the door, and was conducted home with as much importance as if she had been a princess of the blood. The next day the blind impostor, attended by a hero, went out on his pilgrimage, and continued whining for charity and profaning the name of God till night, after which he returned to his ale-house, put on a better coat, and got himself in readiness for the reception of his son and daughter. At the hour appointed, these illustrious personages entered the room, and the conversation was opened by the son in the following easy strain. "'Old boy!' cries he, seizing his father by the hand. "'I am glad to see thee with all my heart. Well, old fellow, how does your crutch and blind eyes do?' "'What! you continue still in the old, canting, hypocritical way, I perceive. "'Pox take you! I saw you hobbling through the streets to-day!' Old miserable, but you know, I'm ashamed to take notice of you in public. "'Though I think I've thrown you down many a tester at the corner of a street "'without your knowing whom you was obliged to for such a piece of generosity.' "'Sir, I honour your generosity,' replied the beggar. "'But pray thee, Jack, they tell me you are going to be married to an heiress of great fortune. "'Is there any truth in the story?' Here the beau-sharper took a French snuff-box out of his pocket, and, having entertained his nose with a pinch of rappe, replied as follows, Yes, sir, my unaccountable somewhat has had the good luck to make conquest of a little amorous tit, with an easy moderate fortune of about fifteen thousand pounds. (laughs) Who does me the honour to dote on this person of mine to distraction? But pray thee, old bluebird, how didst thou come by this piece of intelligence? From that fine lady, your sister, sir, replied the beggar. "'Oh, pox! I thought so!' cries the beau. "'Bess can never keep anything in her but her teeth. "'Nor them either. Can you, Bess? You understand me? "'But as I was saying concerning this match, "'Yes, sir, I have the honour at present "'to be principal favourite of all the women at Bath. "'They are all dying with love of me, "'and I may do what I please with any of them. "'But I, sir, neglecting the rest, "'have singled out a little amorous wanton, "'with a trifling fortune of fifteen or twenty thousand pounds only.' whom I shall very soon whip into a chariot, I believe, and drive away to a parson. "'Lord!' cries the father, "'if she did know what a thief she is going to marry!' "'Why, what then, you old curmudgeon? "'She would be the more extravagantly fond of me on that account. 'Tis very fashionable, sir, for ladies to fall in love with highwaymen nowadays. "'They think it discovers a soul, a genius, a spirit in them, "'about the little prejudices of education. "'And I believe I could not do better than let her know "'that I have returned from transportation.' But pray thee, old dame, what hast got for supper to-night? Nothing, I am afraid, that a gentleman of your fashion can condescend to eat, replied the beggar, for I have only ordered a dish of veal cutlets and a couple of roasted falls. Come, come, pray thee, don't pretend to droll, old blinker, cries the son. but produce your musty supper as fast as you can, and then I'll treat you with a bottle of French claret. Come, let us be merry and set in for jovial evening. Pox, I have some little kind of sneaking regard for thee, for begetting me, notwithstanding your crutch and blind eyes and I think I am not altogether sorry to see thee. Here, drawer, landlord, bring up supper directly, you dog, or I will set fire to your house. This extraordinary summons had the desired effect, and the supper being placed on the table, the three worthy guests sat down to it with great importance. The lady took upon her to manage the ceremonies, and asked her papa in the first place if she could help him to some veal cutlets, to which the answer was, if you please, madam, when she had served her father she then performed the same office to herself after which twirling the dish round with a familiar air i'll leave you said she to take care of yourself jack much mirth and pleasantry reigned at this peculiar meal to the utter astonishment of the master of the house who had never seen the like before when supper was over and they began to feel the inspiration of the claret jack says the father i think i know nothing of your history since you returned from transportation suppose you should begin and entertain us with an account of your exploits with all my heart cries the son. i believe i shall publish my life one of these days if ever i am driven to necessity for i fancy it will make a very pretty neat duodecimo and it's the fashion you know nowadays for all whores and rogues to entertain the world with their memoirs come let us take another glass round to the health of my dear little charmer and then i'll begin my adventures having so said he filled out three bumpers Drank his toast to his knees and then commenced his narration in the following manner. End of book one, chapter fifteen. Recording by Sudeshna.